this is Craig Brown and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used in churches for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used in the lectionary in the coming weeks. Today's passage is taken from the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, verses 1 to 9. It's the lectionary reading for the third Sunday of Lent in the year C cycle of the lectionary. It's one of the scriptures that will be read on March 20, 2022. In this particular text in Luke's gospel, we find Jesus responding to the local news of the day. It says in verse 1, now that on that very occasion there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Oftentimes when people come to Luke chapter 13, they get to this passage of scripture and tend to skip over it because as soon as they read about blood mixed with sacrifices, they're turn on end a little bit and begin to move on to something a little bit more meaningful. But this text is rich. The text really opens with Jesus's response to bad news and what we do and how we react when bad things happen. You see, Jesus receives this report of the Galileans in Jerusalem. Now, Galileans were those who lived near the Sea of Galilee, which is where Jesus has done much of his public ministry. So it makes sense that while Jesus is doing his ministry in Galilee, that some Galileans from Jerusalem would come back and tell him about what happened to their fellow Galileans when they are in Jerusalem. He's being asked to respond to today's news. And so Jesus instead uses this moment of news to shape the need for people to repent. And it's based a little bit on what's happening in this story. And what's happening in this story is that these who have, the ones who have relayed this news to Jesus are part of a larger cultural lens that has a, a theodicy about how things work. Now, let me explain what the word theodicy means. Theodicy simply is how God works in the world how God works in the world. So in their theodicy, in the common theodicy of the day, that whenever you see calamity and chaos, that's indicative of some kind of judgment. So that when you see things you know, broken into a huge upheaval like this, the sacrifices being mixed with the blood of you know, Galileans, that means there was some kind of judgment involved. Who sinned that caused these Galileans they have their blood mixed with the blood of their sacrifices. It's a, it's a gruesome story that's going on here that they're reporting. Basically, it sounds like some Galileans had come to Jerusalem at the time of the Passover because the Passover was the only time of year in which you as an individual would offer your own animal sacrifice. In all of the other animal sacrifices in Jerusalem, you would simply hand your animal to the priest who would then do the so-called dirty work. But at Passover, one is required to slaughter their own animal for the sacrifice. And so it sounds like there were some Galileans who came to Jerusalem to bring their animal sacrifices, and they slaughtered them. And at the same time, Pilate had them killed because of something they had done. Who knows what it was? And so the blood of the Galileans is spilt on the, with the same blood of the animals that they've just slaughtered for sacrifice. So back to this theodicy, the, the Galileans who report this to Jesus think, well, what did these Galileans do wrong that caused this terrible thing to happen? 
And what Jesus says is that, well, to be honest, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans just because they suffered this particular fate? Jesus goes on in verse three, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Jesus says that all will likewise perish unless they repent. So Jesus takes what looks like a calamitous event for these Galileans, and he then says to everyone listening to him in Galilee, unless you repent, your fate will be no different than theirs. This word for repentance that Luke uses and is used throughout the New Testament is metanoia, and it has to do with a, a shaping or a changing of behavior. Um, repentance is not remorse. It is not regret. Repentance is a shift in behavior that might be born out of remorse or regret, but repentance is a behavioral word. It means to make a turn and a shift in our actions. What he's telling the Galileans is that unless you shift, the same fate will befall you. And then Jesus, to make his point even clearer about their theodicy and how wrong it is, tells them a story about a natural disaster that happened in Siloam. And Siloam is a reservoir that provides water to the city of Jerusalem. And the, the, the reservoir of, of uh, Siloam is on the southeast corner of the city and water is supplied to it through an aqueduct. And when water gets into that uh, reservoir, then it's distributed throughout the city as necessary. There was a story that uh, a wall or a tower at that particular reservoir fell and killed a bunch of people. Now, we don't have any historical record of that event outside of this story, but it must have been a contemporary event to those who were listening to Jesus. And so with the story of the Galileans, we have Pilate's deliberate act of evil in killing these Galileans while they're offering their sacrifices at Passover for whatever reason. And then Jesus turns and completely points to an accident do you think the people who were killed when the tower at Siloam fell over on them were any different from any one of us? The call here is to repent. But in that same moment of calling people to repent, Jesus turns their whole theodicy on end, the whole way they think God works in the world. If there's a calamity or chaos, well, somebody must have done something wrong, according to them. You, you hear this again and again in the Gospels where People will come to Jesus, and when he's getting ready to do a healing, for example, the healing of the blind man, uh, people will ask Jesus, who caused this person to be blind, him or his father? They're looking all for this causality around why things are happening. And the call here is to repent. When and how is God's judgment realized is the question that people keep asking. And ultimately, it's, it's somewhat of a, a primitive and childish in childlike understanding, that somehow God is punishing wrongdoing in these events, that the people who had the tower fall on them at Siloam deserved it. Jesus suggests that rather than looking for meaning in God's judgment of others, that we should consider ourselves. There's a powerful truth that emerges in this teaching of Jesus about the news of the day. This same Jesus who will ultimately be executed in Jerusalem. You see, if their theodicy continues to function the way it does, when Jesus goes to Jerusalem and is executed and killed under the hands of Roman power and authority, 
people will simply reflect on it and say, well, what did Jesus do wrong to deserve that? Jesus is trying to reframe their understanding. It is about their own responsibility for repentance. But it's also about framing his own suffering that is about to take place in Jerusalem. This opens up the key passageway for us in this rich text in Luke 13. We need to rethink the cause and effect relationships in our mind and heart. Jesus suggests that deliberate suffering or natural suffering are not caused by something. We must be cautious of this. In the negative, which we talk about punishment, like someone's being punished for wrongdoing, and we have to be careful about talking about this in the positive, which is blessing. Oh, that person has been blessed by God because they made some money or they had something happen in their favor. We use this language all the time, that how their, someone's life was saved because they dodged a car accident, but too bad for the car behind them that got struck. Oftentimes we hear this language about getting away with wrongdoing. Why do people escape justice? What is it that causes people to recover from illness? We have to be careful about using this language that somehow, somehow God dispensed a preference for one person over another person. So rather than looking for meaning in these situations, Jesus, Jesus is challenging our primitive understanding of how God works in the world. So we shouldn't be looking for meaning in these situations. We must focus on the call to experience love. God is at work bringing love and grace in the world. That is the message, not luck. This text goes on to point out now a, a time for good things, and it's in verse 6 that Jesus tells a parable that's related to this conversation he's just had about the news of the day. So to press the point just a little bit further for people, Jesus tells a parable to guide our understanding about these truths, about somehow detoxifying ourselves of looking for all these cause and effect meanings and things. And the parable he tells is about a fig tree in a vineyard. So one might wonder, why in the world would you plant a fig tree in the middle of a vineyard? Uh, the way we grow grapes in the 21st century, you would never see a fig tree sitting in the middle of a vineyard. But in the ancient world, it was not that uncommon. The way in which the fig tree and vines were cultivated and kept were somewhat similar, and they, they provided a, a somewhat of a symbiosis together. And so Jesus tells a story about a, a man who had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and didn't find any. And then in verse 7 it said, He said to the vineyard keeper, Look, for three years I've come looking for, this, looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, that's the vineyard keeper, sir, leave it alone for this year too, and I will dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. The time has come and gone for this tree to bear fruit, and it has not done so yet. So it's not that the the vineyard owner is impatient with the tree. It's that the time for it to bear fruit has come and gone. So the owner is ready to cut it down. Now the manager confesses that maybe more could be done to help it bear fruit. Maybe we could dig around it. Maybe we could put some fertilizer on it. We can help this thing. 
So after another attempt to get the tree to bear fruit, if that doesn't work, then even the vineyard keeper says we should cut it down. Interpreting parables is somewhat difficult, and um, I'm always suspicious of a pastor who says interpreting parables is easy, <laughs> because they're not. Par these parables that Jesus tells are in, uh, enmeshed in the culture in which Jesus finds himself, and especially in the culture of the people he's actually telling the story to. So in a sense, when we read a parable, we're always lacking an ingredient, and it's like the decoder ring. Another the way in which we decode the parable relative to the culture in which Jesus is telling it. A, a parable is nothing more than a story that has some kind of spiritual or allegorical significance. So one of the first steps we might take in interpreting a parable is to ask, who is who in the story? Is God the owner of the vineyard? Or is Jesus the owner of the vineyard? Or someone else? Who's the vineyard keeper in this story? Who or what is the fig tree? These are all good questions. And sometimes when we hear Jesus tell a parable, it's easy, easier, I should say, for us to figure out who represents who in the parable so we can understand its meaning. But in a parable like this, sometimes it's easier to understand the parable first by looking at its meaning in context. And not just the context of the culture in which Jesus is delivering the parable, but the context of the biblical story itself. In other words, what happened right before Jesus told this parable? So Jesus has just told the story and has talked about the need to repent and to not look for meaning in all these different places of judgment. And so when we Look at the opening verses of chapter 13 in verses 1 to 5. It helps us understand the parable in verse 6. The meaning here becomes a little bit clearer. That this fig tree is being given another opportunity. This fig tree still has time. This fig tree still has a moment in which its fruit may shine. There's more time to repent, mercy, grace, economy. When we look at the parable this way, when we just look at the parable from its meaning that this fig tree has now been given more time, then we can let the question of who is who in the parable become a little less important to us. You know, we can't drive the metaphor of God as the angry vineyard owner who wants to cut trees down too far. Yet, don't let the parable get lost on you. Mercy is mercy because it is framed against judgment. So if there's no judgment, it's hard to imagine how there's mercy. They hold each other in a bit of a, a tension. That judgment is coming. Even the, the vineyard keeper says, let me dig around the tree and plant fertilizer. If it bears fruit, great. If it doesn't, then we'll cut it down. So there's this tension being held, and oftentimes what we do is we gravitate into mercy, and the gravitation toward mercy so much so, well, it functions in a way that helps us deny the fact that there's some kind of judgment here that is being delayed or pushed off so that there can be a moment for grace and mercy. The meaning is to stop looking for meaning in random events. What God is doing in this moment in time, for however long this moment lasts, 
is extending a time of invitation to all people. And that's the key passageway for us this week, that the time for mercy invites urgency, not complacency. Jesus' listeners were, they were eager to draw lines of connection between wrongdoing and punishment. You know, why did these Galileans have their blood mixed with their sacrifices? Why did the tower at Siloam fall over on people? They looked to news and events to reinforce their understanding of these realities. Jesus invites them to a place, their, invites them to place their energies elsewhere. See the time in which you live. This is a time for mercy, for grace, for God's hope. This this is centrally our work. Our job is not to point out the causality of people's suffering. What we need to focus on is that this work of mercy, grace, and God's hope is first for ourselves, second for our communities, third for our world at large, and perhaps even better, not first, second, or third. It really needs to be all at the same time. Trying to decide if a hurricane or a tsunami was sent from God is futile. In a sense, Jesus is inviting us to the urgent work of spreading grace. The time for judgment will come. But right now, in this moment, at this very second, this is the time for the fruit of repentance. And we share that with the world by inviting them to experience God's love and grace in a powerful way through our acts of compassion and justice. That's it for this week. I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next time.